Thank you for your invitation here this morning. It is so good to be with you. There are a number of churches that are special uh, to us, as uh, a church in Chalton in Manchester and Belvedere is one of them. So thank you uh, for that invitation. And please turn with me now in your Bibles and uh, have John's Gospel, chapter 11, open. If you would, please. Thank you. In fact, to um, begin with chapter 11, let's just glance back into chapter 10. And there we see the infinite loving care that the Lord Jesus Christ has for his sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I know them. Just across the road from us, there's a um, Pakistani family. Uh, Mum seems to be in charge of everything, and we know her and wave, say hello occasionally. But she has, well, I'm not sure whether it's three or four lads, because um, they all look the same. Um, they, they're all of the same build and height and shape. They all have the same haircut. They all have the same uh, sort of three-quarter semi-shaved beard. They all wear the same sort of suits, and they all drive the same large, black, shiny cars. In the last few months, um, our car, it's bright red, so it should be, um, disappeared into a, a pale pink colour uh, and, and grey. And their cars were still shiny and black. Even their alloy wheels were shiny. And I don't know how they do it. And we wave and we nod. And I'm not sure, I'm really not sure which one I'm waving to and nodding to. Uh, I've just no idea. We're trying to make the, they're, they're newly moved in. And we're trying to get to know them. Um, but we don't. We don't. I'm sure mum does. I'm sure the mum knows exactly which one is which and can tell them uh, apart from a distance. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to us, if you are a believer, you are one of my sheep and I know you. I know you. And here is infinite care through intimate knowledge. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has the ability to keep his sheep. He gives every one of his sheep eternal lives, eternal life, and that means that none of them will ever perish. No one has the strength, no one has the strength to snatch a sheep out of the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, nor out of the hand of the Father. How wonderful that is. And then we meet a family in chapter 11, and we see those things being worked out in their experience. They become almost, if you like, a parable of all that we've seen and thought about in chapter 10, the Lord being the shepherd of his sheep and loving and caring for them. And it just reminds us, doesn't it, first of all, that these Gospels of ours, they're not just thrown together. John just doesn't get up one morning and think, oh, I've got to add a little bit more to this Gospel, must get it finished and, and stitch a little bit more on the end of it. No, no, not at all. These Gospels are carefully thought through and planned and structured. The sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ and his discourses, his sermons 
all tie in and are linked with the signs that John has decided to bring to us. So, the one who says to us that he is the bread of life is the one who takes the 5,000 into the wilderness and gives them bread. The one who says that he is the light of the world gives sight to a blind man. He literally brings light into the man's experience. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that he is the resurrection and the life. And what does he do? Well, now he will raise a dead man. He will give bread and light and life to those around him. And it thrills our hearts as believers to know those truths. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Now, I want us um, to look at this passage uh, again this evening. And so we're just going to open up things uh, this morning. And the first thing I want us to look at this morning, and the first point that I would bring to you is this. Here in chapter 11, we have the home that Jesus loved. The home that Jesus loved. Here is this little family group, two sisters with their brother, and he loves them. He loves them. Verse 3 When Lazarus is ill, the sisters are able to say, um, he whom you love is ill. But in verse 5, we read, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He knows them intimately and he loves them. He loves them. Here is warmth. Here is intimacy. Here is personal involvement. Over this last Christmas we had, um, even the the TV took it up as a theme, didn't it? How people are lonely at Christmas. They should have just gone on and said, well, find your local church. If you're living in Liverpool 8, Liverpool 17, get down to Belvedere, you'll find a family. And there you'll find the Lord Jesus Christ and all the intimacy and all the warmth of a family life. And here is Jesus' personal involvement with his own people. Is your home like this? Even if it's a home of one, a place where Jesus loves to be, a place that Jesus knows, a place that Jesus is involved in, a place where he feels at home, where he's welcome. Here is this little family grouping. And when Jesus is in the area, that's where he wants to go. It's where he wants to be. It's where he wants to spend his quieter moments and time. Occasionally people put names on their houses, don't they? Done roaming all of those sort of things. friend of ours, he's called his cottage Tulip Cottage. Tulip Cottage. And a friend said, oh, that's lovely. Do you, do you have tulips? No, no, he said. T-U-L-I-P, five points of Calvinism. Off he went. <laughs> Got to admire him, haven't you? Well, 
How often have Christians down the years put their home little nameplate on Bethany. Bethany, the place where Jesus loves to be. Is your home a Bethany? Don't need the plate. But is your home a Bethany? The place where Jesus loves to be. The home that Jesus loved. And that home has now become a place of tragedy. Tragedy has struck this people. Chapter 10, Jesus has told us that none shall pluck us from his hand. Not even, not even from illness and difficulty and death. He keeps us through all of those things, even to eternal life. If your home is a place where Jesus loves to be, then you can have confidence that you can call upon him in the dark and in the difficult times. Quite a number of times in my time of ministry in Manchester, I've been called into homes where tragedy has struck. And as you talk with the family, it is clear that Jesus has never been there in that home. He is a stranger to them and they are a stranger to him. They've never called upon him in other times and they can't now. They don't know who he is. Time of bereavement and you have just known that yourselves. I'm aware of that. And here is this dreadful dark situation where the godless are bereaved and they don't know who to call upon and they don't know how to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and it is just so miserable. It is miserable beyond description. But here is a home. Yes, tragedy has struck but Jesus is there. Jesus knows these people Jesus has an intimate, loving knowledge of them. This is the home where Jesus longs to be. And these people in this family know the Lord Jesus Christ and their first reaction when tragedy and difficulty strikes is to involve them, him in their troubles. Lazarus is ill, quickly seriously ill, quickly gravely ill, and so they immediately send for the Lord Jesus Christ. How well do they know the Lord? They don't even have to use Lazarus's name. He whom you love, verse 3, he whom you love is ill. The home that Jesus has loved, does love. And then the time that Jesus has waited the time that Jesus waited. Verse 4, this is not unto death. It doesn't mean, the Lord doesn't mean that Lazarus will not die. Verse 14, Lazarus is dead, but the end result will not be death. The end result will not be death. Lazarus will be raised and two things will result from that. The glory of God. Men will, will not 
um, we'll, we'll be able to see that God is glorious. His glory will be revealed in that. And then secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will be glorified. The time Jesus waited. He doesn't go immediately. You would expect him to, but, well, would you? Would you? Jesus surprises us at every turn. John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. The wine runs out and Mary rushes off to Jesus. This is before his public ministry has begun. And tells him all about it. Well, Jesus will change the water into wine, but not now, not yet, not immediately. First, he must deal with Mary. And he must show and tell her and reveal to her that their relationship now has changed forever. She can't simply go to him and call upon him in the way perhaps that she did before. Their relationship is not like that anymore. Perhaps need to remind our Roman Catholic brethren and friends of that. But then uh, there's another delay in chapter 4, the nobleman's son. The father's faith is faulty and the Lord must deal with that first. The father doesn't believe that Jesus can heal at a distance. You must come down, come to my son. I wondered where you were going this morning, Paul, when you, at, at a distance. The same thing, the centurion, isn't it? He believes the other way around. But the father, he needs Jesus to be there. Can't believe that he can deal with the situation at a distance. And you must get there before the son dies. Because once he's dead, well, that's just far too late, isn't it? It's, got, it's over then. And so Jesus doesn't do something immediately that he's called upon because there are lessons to be learned. There are things for these people to get to grips with and to learn. And so when he hears, he waits two days. He's not being unkind. This isn't some form of spiritual cruelty. He's not waiting for Lazarus to die. If I've understood the distances and they've been worked out properly, then Lazarus is already dead by the time this messenger arrives. It's a day's journey. He waits two days, a day's journey back, four days. Lazarus has been dead already four days. The time that Jesus waited. Why the delay? It is because Lazarus will be raised. We'll think about that more this evening. But also because, verses 45, 46, 53 and so on, people will believe. People will believe. And some won't. Some people do believe and some don't. They are near to Jerusalem and near to the time of the Passover, near to the place 
where Jesus will die, near to the time when he will die. Jesus here is timing his death. He is timing his death. His death on the cross is our atoning sacrifice, isn't it? Our Passover lamb is slain for us. At that Passover, the lamb would be slain as as a substitute for sin. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, will die at the right time at that particular Passover. He is timing his death. When this miracle is complete, I should really call it a sign because John does, when this sign has been uh, completed, some believe in Jesus but others go off and it leads to further problems and troubles for him. Already he's healed the unwilling man on the Sabbath day, John chapter 5. The man doesn't believe doesn't seem to come to faith at all, but it brings about opposition. It it starts to focus the opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this raising of Lazarus from the death accelerates that with some blind, manic thing. These men now want to kill Lazarus as well when we get into chapter 12. But Jesus is timing these events. He's in control of them and he is timing the point of his death. The time Jesus waited leads to the glory that Jesus reveals. Verse 4, when Jesus heard it he said, this illness is not unto death, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. And so the glory that Jesus reveals is intertwined to the time that Jesus waits because these four days are significant. They are significant for the Jews. At the time, there was a superstitious belief that when someone died, the, st- the soul stayed near the grave of the dead person for three days. The soul lingers around the dead person, hoping to be able to return to the body. That was the superstition. Have you got it? Have you seen what's going on here? Jesus waits four days. He waits till the, the, we're in the, the, the middle of the fourth day. The body is decomposing. And the, the belief was that the, that the soul now leaves forever. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. You see, it's probable, as in the case with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, that Lazarus was buried the very same day that he died. And so here we are now. Lazarus has died, he's been buried, he's been in the grave four days, which means that all hope of recovery is gone. And only the unleashing of divine power will alter things now. If Lazarus is to be raised 
Only God can do it. And this is precisely what will happen. God's glory will be revealed and the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified by means of it. And so John and the Lord Jesus Christ have saved this wonder, this sign, to be the last of the signs. Matthew Henry has said this, if he, if Jesus, had cured Lazarus of illness, though that would have been a wonder, it would be no more than he had done for many. If he had raised Lazarus when newly dead, that would be no more than he had done for some. But by deferring, by waiting so long, he did more than he did for any. The glory that Jesus reveals. He will give life to Lazarus and God's glory will be seen and Jesus will be praised and honoured and worshipped. He will give life to Lazarus. He will speak to the dead man. He will speak to that rotting, smelling corpse. He will speak to Lazarus's decomposing body, festering in the Palestinian heat, surrounded now by these people stood at the grave. He will speak to Lazarus and that man, the dead man, will hear the voice of the Son of God and be raised from the dead. Instantly, Lazarus will become restored, whole, fit and well. He will leave the place of darkness and of death and he will do so at the command of the Lord of life and light. We read on into chapter 12 and what do we find? We find Lazarus at home, relaxing around the supper table with his family. There are friends there and Jesus also is there. The Lord Jesus Christ is once again in that family home. The home where he loves to be. And it's an ordinary, quiet, domestic scene. These friends and this family that he loves to be with. How ordinary it is. John chapter 11 is the spectacular, isn't it? And let me ask you now, how do you react to this story, to this sign? It's a sign telling us who Jesus is. It's a sign pointing to him and saying to you, he is the Son of God. He is to be loved and worshipped and obeyed. How do you react then to this story? Does it reveal to you the glory of God? John says it does. 
Well, does it? Does it to you? And you'll know, as we've read the, the passage together and as we've looked at it together now, you'll know whether uh, it, it's revealed the glory of God to you or not. Because you'll be saying in your, your mind, or perhaps not actually vocalising, but in your emotions, you'll be saying, I'm leaving this hall a different person this afternoon. You can't see the glory of God and be unchanged. You can't. I'm not asking if you believe the miracle. I'm asking what effect it has upon you. Moses sees the glory of God and his face shone. Elijah is confronted with the majesty, the might and the glory of God and he's restored to vigour and to service once again. The disciples saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and they turned the world upside down. What's it doing to you this morning? Have you seen the glory of God? So I'm not asking in your heart, in your mind, have you seen the miracle? I'm not asking if you simply believe that these things happened. Because there were many here, some certainly, who saw the miracle but they didn't see God's glory. They believed a miracle had happened. They were there when it happened. And they went scurrying off to tell and to inform on the Lord Jesus Christ. They set off to get the Lord Jesus Christ into trouble by reporting what he did. They knew that it would get him into trouble with the authorities. There's nothing new here in this. John's Gospel is all about believing and unbelieving. And there's nothing new here. The Lord heals the paralysed um, man at the pool. And his opponents hate him for it. He miraculously multiplies the bread. And the crowds follow him. Why? Well, because they want free meals for life. And then there's the miraculous catch of fish and Peter falls at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, go away from me for I am a sinful man. Peter sees the glory of God and something happens to him. He is consumed with his own guilt and uncleanness. He is ashamed of the man that he is. And he's afraid to be in the presence of one who is so good and holy and pure. Go away from me. You are clean and pure and holy. If you stay around me, I will contaminate you. I'm sure of it. But you see what he saw in the miraculous catch of fish. He saw the glory of God. And here is Lazarus, raised from the dead at the command, at the very word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes out of the grave. Are you seeing the glory of God? Verse 4. Verse 4. This is for the glory of God 
and so that the Son of Man, the Son of God rather, may be glorified by it. Seeing the glory of God changes people. It's not that you decide to be changed. You just are changed. It happens. You, I'm going to say you can't help it. Moses stands in the presence of God and God speaks to him. And Moses sees the glory and his face begins to irradiate. His appearance is changed. He can't help it. It just happens. It's a consequence. He puts the veil over his face so people can't see the fading of that glory. And so I'm asking this morning, are you a changed person? Totally and radically and inwardly, are you changed? Changed by seeing who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Seeing the glory of God, you see, means that you will give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will become uh, the the goal, the aim of your life. You'll spend your time saying, how can I glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? A situation or a circumstance will come to you, good, bad, light or hard. And you'll, you'll be instinctively saying, how, how do I react in this way, that's in, in a way that is honouring to the Lord Jesus Christ? That is now our aim and our goal to glorify him to honour him in the way that we live and the way that we walk. Jesus becomes your God. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. And so I'm asking, what have you seen as we read this passage And as we've thought about it together, what have you seen? Some saw a miracle and they went home and they were the worse for it. Astonishing, isn't it? Others saw the miracle and they were drawn even more to the Lord Jesus Christ. He became the object of their their singular love and devotion and obedience. What have you seen? Jesus is the Son of God. He is to be loved and worshipped and obeyed. No one else, nothing else must come before the Lord Jesus Christ. This illness is not unto death. It is for the glory of God and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Amen.